Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming this evening. It's lovely to have you here. Let me add my welcome to Stu's and Stu and the band and all those um, who have done put so much to the evening. Thank you to you all. Should we give them all a round of applause as well? Because it is a huge effort. We are so grateful. Thank you. Now, Christmas. It is a national moment of upheaval. A panel of expert advisors have been brought in to give their analysis and predictions At the highest level of government, there is deception, spin, hypocrisy lurking. A charade of well-chosen words masks a very different reality. There is a leader whose policies require great sacrifice on behalf of his subjects, all the while appearing to shore up his power base. King Herod is not good news great thing about Christmas is there's not just one king in it. Fortunately, there is another king who features in the nativity. The good news of the nativity is revealed in a king who is really good news. And I want to take a couple of moments just to share with you a little bit more about him. Quick bit of Christmas trivia uh, before we get there, however. I'd like you to, perhaps we can have the house lights up just a tiny bit, because I'd like you to speak to the people around you, uh, if there is someone around you. Otherwise, you can have a bit of a think. Okay, I'd like you to think, answer this question. How many kings were there at the first Christmas? Okay, you can either think about it for yourself or perhaps confer with those around you. How many kings were there at the first Christmas? What do you think? I think there were four. <laughs> okay, okay, we're going to use the, the trusted uh, uh, method here. Okay, we're going to start with one. Okay, and if you think um, that there, were, uh, there was one king at, at the first Christmas, put your hand up. Okay, two. Three, four, put your hand up if you didn't put your hand up. No, don't worry, okay. (laughs) There may have been more, there may have been more. Wonderful. Well, here's the thing. Despite the song, which my family right now love dearly, uh, my third son Barney, it's his Christmas concert piece. He's learned it off by heart. We Three Kings, it goes around our house all the time. He now knows it without the music. 
there are, there were probably not three. There were probably not three. Uh, I think we think that there are three um, because of the three different types of gifts, right? There's gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and I guess we imagine, you know, the holy family. We don't want to imagine any Christmas awkwardness in that scene, do we? We don't want a situation where, like, three of them bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and there's a fourth one who also brings myrrh, and then Mary's like, thank you, we already have this one, uh, and she's looking for the present drawer, so, you know, we, we, so, so I guess that's how we got to three. But I digress. It's not just that we don't know how many of them there are. There probably weren't three. More importantly, they aren't kings, actually. They are magi, not Maggie. These are Maggie, Maggie's, right? They are magi, astrologers. So how many kings in the nativity? Well, I want to suggest that there are actually two kings in the nativity, although it is a subjective one. Two kings. And I want to tell you this evening the tale of two kings. That's what jumped out at me as I, as I turned to think about Christmas this year. The tale of two kings. Uh, there's that lovely new uh, John Lewis ad out there this year. I don't know whether you've seen it. Um, the, the idea is a great one. Um, a young boy befriends an alien um, who has crash-landed nearby. And he introduces his unexpected friend to all the uh, delights of the season. And it takes you on this beautiful imaginary journey. And it asks the question, I guess, what would it look like to see Christmas afresh for the first time all over again? And that's kind of the job of the preacher at Christmas time as well. And all of us Christians, actually, to think again, what would it be like to see Christmas afresh, to see it for the first time, all over again. One of the ways of doing that is to read the Bible's account of what happened. And one of the great surprises comes right then when you start to read what it says. There are four accounts of Jesus' life, uh, as you may know. No great surprises that in, in, in all of them there is minimal mention of mistletoe and reindeer and so forth. Rather more surprising is that there two of the four accounts of Jesus' life actually make no mention of his birth at all. Now, one of them does quite well. Lots of sort of stuff about angel Gabriel, no room in the inn, that kind of, that's Luke's gospel. But Matthew's account, which I want to um, dwell on a little bit with you, tells us amazingly little. The one other account that says something says almost nothing about Christ's birth. Matthew's account comes from, through Joseph's eyes. And he starts with some helpful biological information. Joseph, we're told, verse 25 of chapter 1, did not consummate their marriage until Mary gave birth to a son. So those of you in the know, you can work out what's going on there. And then it says, and this is, by the way, this is the great event. It, then it says, and he gave him the name Jesus. And that's it. That's it for the birth of the Son of God. No labor pains or anything like that. It cost Mary quite a lot, one imagines. They gave him a name, Jesus. And then the next sentence is, after the birth of Jesus, after the birth of Jesus, we're on to how at that time, it was the time of King Herod. And these magi from the east came. And it majors on the magi. Now, I don't believe Matthew was, was short of material. Uh, I'm sure he left plenty of Jesus stories on the cutting floor, as it were. But he sees something really special in this business of the magi. One that makes... No mention of oxen or whatever else we associate. 
but one which nevertheless gets us deep into that story of the first Christmas. A tale of two kings, a tale of a harsh king, King Herod, and then a humble king, King Jesus. And it's a tale that draws us in. And it asks us, where do you feature in this story? More than that, it asks us, whom will you crown king? Whose care will you receive? And that's what we're going to explore just for a few moments. But I'm jumping ahead. Two kings, let's meet them. The first of the kings, King Herod, a harsh king. We're told Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and the Bible says they asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So Herod was deeply disturbed at this. Like any good tyrant, Herod's interest in any event was significantly piqued if he thought someone else was going to get some credit, or in this case, worship. But he was also a very organized tyrant, so before he did anything else, he got some people to research, to find out some more information. He put his experts onto it. And like everyone, really, in, in Israel at that time, Herod believed there was a, a divine master plan for, for the whole of his nation, that this master plan would culminate in a king coming, God-appointed one, and this plan had been revealed through the ancient prophets, and so you could get your religious experts to go and find out what the plan was. So it says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, Herod asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, you're by no means least of the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod had his information. Now, based on this information, he, this could have been a, a great moment. This could have been a moment when Herod thought, wow, I am going to be the one to finally usher in the kingdom of the long-promised Messiah. What a privilege. But King Herod didn't see it like that. He saw a threat. So he called the Magi over. And it says, secretly, he said to them, go and search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now the way Matthew writes, I don't know whether you could hear the intonation of my voice, you can sort of hear Herod wringing his hands as he said, so that I too may go and worship him. Because worship is absolutely not what Herod intends to do. Herod, we learn later on, intends to wipe out this baby. And in fact, we find out shortly, Matthew doesn't spare us the grim detail, it's awful. When Herod can't locate the baby, he orders all the firstborn in the land to be killed, to ensure that this pretender to his throne is no more. This is Herod's attitude. In this city, there's only room for one king, and that king is going to be me, a harsh king. Now, mercifully, we here today live in kinder times, and yet perhaps you know something of being under harsh rule. Perhaps you've had a harsh boss or a teacher Perhaps there are other harsh rulers in your world, people who hold a lot of power, and you've struggled with them. All of us long, don't we, for good leaders, kind, good leaders. And so how good it is that there is another king who comes. Alongside him comes another king, Jesus Christ, Christ Messiah means king, 
Not a harsh king, but this one, surprising thing, a humble king, a humble king. And he's so humble right at the beginning that he doesn't really even feature. You don't see him in the story. His humility starts with his birthplace. I wonder whether you're interested in the birthplaces of famous people. I used to live in, uh, near Wimbledon, and uh, you couldn't go two streets in Wimbledon without seeing one of those houses with the blue plaques. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, here lived whoever, Arthur Schopenhauer or Dame Margaret Rutherford or, or whatever it is. I've, I've yet to find one just directly around here, but I'm sure that they're there. There were none of those around Jesus' birthplace. King Herod and the court, they were in Jerusalem. That's the, the city, the metropolis. But this new king appears in Bethlehem. No one even thought about Bethlehem until someone sort of trawled back in the yearbooks and started reading what the prophets had said. Apparently, there's going to be a king over there. And when you look at the rest of Jesus' life, that was full of humility too. Here was a man who could heal with a word. He, 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 he rose up, he raised the dead. He gave people back their lives. He had power over nature. But he didn't choose to live in a palace. He just chose an everyday kind of reality in his world. He chose an existence with the regular stresses of life. He stubbed his toe, no doubt. He had half-patched up arguments going on around him. He had groggy mornings. He would have seen midlife disappointments. He would have seen disease, hunger, fatigue, seen it all close up. And of course, ultimately, he went to the humiliation and agony of a criminal's cross. So humble. And yet he was king, nevertheless. Bethlehem born, but king. King to rule the whole people of God. So there are two kings, a harsh king and a humble king. But why, why, why do I share it? What difference does it make to us? Well, I think the wonderful thing about the way that Matthew tells this story is it draws us in. It begs the question, what about you? Who will you, who will I give our crown to? Will we give Christ our crown? One thing I think Herod, for all his great sins, saw very clearly is that as the great heroes of the Western films used to say, there's not room for two of us in this town. There can only be one king, and it's either Herod or it's Jesus. So Herod had a decision to make. Will I give my crown to the true king? And actually, the Christmas story asks us the same question. Will I, will you, will we give Christ our crown? Will you take the crown from your own head? Will I take the crown from my own head? You know, that crown represents all the ways in which I live life for me, in which I am the king of me. The ways in which I think I'm the master of my days, I'm the captain of my soul. Will I take my crown and give it humbly to Christ? Deep down, each of us know, don't we, I think, that we need a king. We need a personal king. We need someone who's going to shepherd us through all the barren hills of life. We need someone who's going to guide us through moments of uncertainty like we're all feeling right now. We need someone who will show us the way how to live. What's the right way to live? We need someone who's going to show us where is the water of life? You know, not just now, but in eternity. We need someone who's going to go after us when we go astray. 
Someone who's gently going to come alongside us and say, no, not that way. Come back. Perhaps you've never thought of it like that. But that's the idea. That's what you get from giving Christ your crown. Now, if that's something you feel you've done in the past already, you know him as king. Uh, but somehow over the years, you kind of found yourself taking the crown back. Perhaps you've never thought about it like that. My experience of my life, I have to say, is a, is a sort of constant rest, wrestle. I hand it over. Jesus, have, have my crown. You've been Actually, sorry, could I just take it back? I've got some things that I'd like to do for myself. It's a challenge. And of course, giving to Christ the crown is not the only option. It's possible, like Herod, to see him, the humble king, and say, no, I'm going to keep it for myself. Of course, you might think, well, also, I don't know whether I want to give it to, to Christ. Is he a good person? Is he real for a start? Does he actually exist? I don't want to throw my, my crown off into the middle of nowhere. And is he good? Perhaps you've had a terrible experience of all sorts of institutions and people in power in your life, and you think, I don't want to hand it off to another person. That's not safe. Will I lose myself, you might think. If I ha hand Christ my crown, I won't be who I'm supposed to be. Do you know what? I would love to speak to you about any of those questions and many more. Come and, come and see me afterwards. I'm going to be standing over here. I'd love to explore some of that with you. But as, we, as we draw to a close, um, I'd like to just suggest a couple of ways in which you might take some of those thoughts further. First of all, please, do, please come and take a book. I've got some books for you uh, on the way out and just over, over there. I've got a little book called A Very Messy Christmas. It's written by a wonderful friend of mine called Jago Wynn, who's a vicar over in, in Clapham. And he just unwraps in beautiful detail a bit more of the story I've shared with you. If you're new to the message of Christmas, be, this would be a great one. And I've also got a little book called Is Christmas Unbelievable? Great for you if you've got real questions about, did any of this really happen? Um, I'd love to share um, either of those uh, with you. Either come and grab one from me there or on the way out. Secondly, if you'd like to just explore some of this together with others, come and join us on Alpha in the new year. We're starting a new course on the 20th of January. Again, speak to me afterwards or come and join us over here to find more about that. That's an opportunity to ask any question about the Christian faith that you want. But whatever your, whatever your thoughts, I'd love you to go home with this challenge. Will I give Christ my crown? You know, all these years that I've been a Christian, and it's been a few now, I, I know it's not something I found easy. I know I've always wrestled back the crown of my life. But the best place for it to be, I've learned, is always on Jesus. And when in eternity I meet him, the thing I want to be able to do is say to him, you are the rightful king of me and the whole world. And as I prepared for this evening, I'm, I'm convinced the best thing I can encourage you to do is to make that same decision yourself. Brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to meeting a number of you afterwards if you'd like to come and chat. Um, I'm going to lead us now into a time of response. I'm going to ask the band to come up and join me. Um, and we're just going to have a little bit of a time to think about what we've been speaking about. That great question. Will you give Christ your crown? And there's going to be two parts to this. Uh, first of all, I'm going to lead us in uh, a time of prayer in which we can recognize if you feel like you're someone who actually, you want to give Christ your crown. That's not what you've been doing, though. You've been living as the king of your own life, and frankly, he hasn't really featured so much. You really want to make a commitment to doing that. This is a time for you to do that. But for all of us, whether we've been Christians for a long time, 
perhaps a time to recognize again that he is the king over our lives. And then I'm going to lead us in a time of praise and thanks to him for his good rule. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're a good king. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're the one to shepherd us and guide us and care for us and come after us even when we've gone astray. We come to you this evening recognizing that you deserve the crown of our lives. But there are many times when we don't give you that crown, when we hold on to it for ourselves. We're sorry for the times when we make ourselves captain of our own souls. We're sorry for the times we don't recognize your loving rule over us. We're sorry for the times when we've run away thinking that actually you are no good for us. We pray that you would draw us back to you this evening. We pray that you would forgive us our many sins. And we pray that you would welcome us with the open arms of love and grace that you hold out to each person. And Lord, we pray that you draw us on in this adventure with you as King. Lord, teach us how we might change our lives to recognize you as the one who rules over us. Teach us the riches and the glory of following you. And Lord, we know that's not necessarily an easy life. It's not necessarily a life with all our questions answered. And yet it's the life that we are made to live. So we pray that you would come by your spirit and teach us this evening. Put your finger on whatever it is in our hearts that we need to bring to you as our king. And draw us on in a life of following you. We pray all these things in your name, the gracious and compassionate, humble King. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.